Mirandasya Gyananana Salakaya Chakshuru Militamena Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha Sri Guru Vaishnavupur Paraki Jai So good morning again everyone and um, as I mentioned earlier we'll speak briefly this morning on the significance of the Gurvastakam, eight prayers to the Guru, composed by Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur. We've been doing this for, well, this is the eighth year, so this is the eighth verse. And um, there's a ninth verse also, of course, which is, explains the fruit of chanting the Astakam daily. And we may segue into that and conclude our eight-year discourse <laughs> on the Astakam. Guru Astakam is a, it's a title of, uh, of an Astakam also composed by the uh, Shankara Charjan from the Dvaita sect long, long time ago. And um, it's likely that, among other reasons... As well, Sripad Vishwan Chakravitakur in the uh, sometime in the 17th century composed his Guruvastakam as an answer to the Guruvastakam of the Advaitins, which has been popular for some time, that the, uh, the Vaishnavas might have such an Astakam for their uh, Gurus and the Parampara or the lineage. Parampara really means one after another, so the implication is there's a lineage. And of course, prayers in explaining the significance and offering one's heart and affection and so forth, respect to the Guru are certainly, if anything, more appropriate within Vaishnavism than within a lineage like uh, Shankar's Advaita lineage. One time, to give an example, what I mean by that, Prabhupada, my Guru Maharaj, was bathing in the Ganges and he reached out his hand to one of his students so that the student could help to pull him out of the Ganges as he, you know, as he stepped out. So as he pulled him and stepped out onto the shore and planted both feet there, then Prabhupada snatched his hand like this very quickly so that the devotee thought, oh, I must have done something wrong. <laughs> What's, what did I do? And, he, and Prabhupada said, this is Advaitavad. So he said, once they arrive in Videha Mukti with two feet on the shore of the other side of the world of material emotions, the ups and downs of the ocean of uh, material emotions, the circular movement of, of samsara in which we move but go nowhere, comes to an end. The beginning of that end is meeting the Guru. And by taking advantage of that meeting, we can sail safely to the other side and stand on the shore of liberation. And more, of course, within Vaishnavism, post-liberated life. But in Advaita, Vedanta, then when they arrive, then they dispose of the Guru altogether. So in Vaishnavism, of course, this isn't the case. That's where the guru becomes more important <laughs> after we've already become 
liberated, then life begins in Rasananda. So, therefore, as I say, prayers to the Guru eight at least are most appropriate for the Vaishnavas and more so than, than in the Advaita Vedanta. So we should have our own Astakam. And in the 17th century, Sripad Vishwanath Chakrati Thakur compiled this one and it's been sung for centuries all over the world now since our Guru Maharaj Prabhupada took the Gaudiya Vaishnavism around the world and of course he instituted the singing of this song uh, beyond the shores of Bharat of India but it's popular amongst Gaudiya Vaishnav devotees the world over and full of deep significance we've been talking about it as I say for a few years now and we sing it every morning as well a word more, I suppose, would be appropriate at this point about the composer. Uh, Vishwanath Chakritaka was a great uh, scholar and uh, devotee. He came into Paribar, as it's called, or the family, the lineage of Narutam Thakur, which has its beginnings in Lokanath Goswami. It's called the Narutam Paribar, just like our Paribar is called the Bhaktivinoda Paribar, although it has its beginnings in the um, Nityananda Paribar. So, when a great person makes a great contribution within that lineage, then that person, he or she, may be highlighted in the eyes of the followers and the world over, for that matter, such is the case with um, the Bhaktivinoda Paribar. Of course, it's not called the Vishwanath Paribar, but he was a great contributor, uh, but the Narutam Paribar. And, uh, he was, at the time, the works of the Goswamis, Rupa and Jiva Goswami, had not been very widely distributed. The mission, the Sampradaya, the lineage was rather a new lineage. So he made an effort to see to the circulation of those books widely, and he wrote in his household life three or four books that, uh, like Bhaktivedanta Sindhu Bindu and Brihat uh, Bhagavatamrita Khan and so forth, a little small books that gave a synopsis of Sanatana Prabhu's Brihad Bhagavatamrita, which is voluminous, and Rupa Goswami's Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, which is foundational and also quite uh, a lengthy text, foundational for Krishna Bhakti and Gaudiya Vaishnavism in particular. So early on, as a young man, he made this type of contribution and saw to the circulation of the Goswami's literatures. And then, of course, he became a renunciate himself, and wrote extensively commentaries on Bhagavatam and uh, Gita, Bhagavad Gita. He wrote the first Bhagavad Gita commentary in our lineage, and uh, so many commentaries thereafter, of course, followed in his footsteps and his insights and so forth, elaborated upon them and shared later authors their own insights as well. So, a huge contributor to the Sampradaya. He is one of the um, members of the lineage that is universally accepted, whatever he says. In other words, within Gaudiya Vaishnavism, there are many different sects, lineages and sub-lineages and, and so forth. And um, for one teacher to be his words or her words to be universally accepted across the board, as he Though you know, those of you who know the climate today of Gaudiya Vaishnavism in the international world, you can understand that means he, he, he's uh, remarkable. <laughs> uh, so um, 
such was the case, is the case with Vishnu Chakritaka. In other words, whatever he said, whatever he wrote in any commentary, and so that's taken like the, the text itself. As is the case with Rupa Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, Shijiva Goswami, who are kind of the founders of the Sampradaya under the direct guidance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So a very important uh, person. Some people say he's like Rupa Goswami reappearing in a Sampradaya hundred some years later or so. He was very much absorbed in the um, Gopi Bhav and uh, was not shy to express that. I think he, he felt at the time that there that uh, there was more room to lay stress and emphasis on that and come out with that controversial um, idea that is so central to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, that being what, that the, the love of Radha for Krishna is the ideal of the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, and that Krishna, the Param Brahma, uh, becomes like, like a lost, uh, a forlorn lover uh, in her absence, that God, the Godhead becomes crippled, so to speak, in, 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 by the force of her love. So it is that love, the Prem of Radha, that we aspire for. Prem, Krishna Prem. Not Krishna, but Krishna Prem. And this is very significant, of course, in relation to the Guru Bhastakam and the last verse that we're discussing. The last verse is what? Yasya Prashada, Bhagavat Prashado, Yasya Prashada, Nagati Kutopi. So, after many descriptions of the internal and external life of the Guru through seven successive uh, verses, this final verse makes a nice point and emphasizes this, that it says, Yasya Prashadad, of by his mercy, the Guru's mercy, his or her mercy, the Guru's mercy, yasya prasadat bhagavat prasado. The mercy of Bhagwan of God, is made available. And the, the, the point is further emphasized. Yasya prasadat bhagavat prasado, yasya prasadat nagati kutopi. And without, the second line says, without pleasing the, the Guru, then Bhagavan can't be pleased. God will be pleased by pleasing the Guru, and the Guru will... And if the Guru is displeased, God will not be praised, something like that. So he emphasizes the point. And the point is very central to Vaishnavism in general. As I mentioned, the ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism is what? The frame of Radha and the philosophical implications of that being that, that the love of Krishna is, in a sense, superior to Krishna. Love of God is superior to God. God is conquered by love, and of course that's well-reasoned yogic love. They call it prem. And so the position of the devotee in relation to Bhagavan, this is highlighted in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Radha takes the position of the supreme devotee, so to speak. It's the Godhead in a feminine form taking the role of of the supreme devotee. So the devotee who is the shelter of love of God is the focus of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And that is, of course, then, the Guru. Therefore, it's said in the previous verse of Guru Vastakam, Sakshad Haritvena. Sakshad Haritvena. Sakshad means directly, like right before you. Sakshad Hari. We are to think, Vishwanath says, that Sakshad Hari has come directly before us in the form of the Guru. But he says something just quiet. It's a little different than that. Sakshad Haritvena. 
Dvena. Sakshadhari Dvena. The qualities of Krishna are there in the Guru. It's a kind of manifestation of Krishna that is the Guru. It is the manifestation of the ashray tattva, of the prem that Krishna is the vishai, the object of. In other words, God is the object of love and someone embodies that love for God. And that is sakshadharitvena. This is the idea of the guru. He or she is to be regarded like Krishna because this is a form, so to speak, of the Godhead in which the ideal love of God is embodied and through whom, therefore, we can learn about that very practically through his or her example and precept and so on and so forth. And Krishna's position is he's the object of love. So how do you teach? What is the best way to teach? The best way is to teach by example, right? Example speaks louder than precept. I can say one thing, like parents always tell their kids, don't do this, don't do that, but you know, the kids don't take them seriously because the parents don't do this, or they don't do that, or they do this, or they do that, often. So example speaks louder than precept. This is the best way to teach. He kind of centered his own teaching on this principle. This is one of the very few Gita verses that are cited in Chaitanya Charitamrita. It means whatever a great person does, other persons follow that person's example. So Mahaprabhu taught by his example. And who is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna in his Acharya Lila. It's Krishna playing the part of the Guru. So he's taking the position of the Ashray. Ashray means shelter. So the shelter of what? Of love. The person in whom the love for the perfect object of love, Krishna, is embodied. That person can teach love of God. Krishna can't teach it. Not as well, we should say. Therefore, he expresses himself in this form as the Guru to teach love of God, which is the ideal. So, yasya prasada, Bhagavat prasada, yasya prasada, nagati, utopi. So to please the Guru, then, we can be sure we please Krishna. Deva Goswami has made a nice point in this connection. I'll get to that. But the verse itself, yasya prasada, Bhagavat prasada, yasya prasada, nagati, utopi, this verse, was highlighted by Algar Maharaj, Sibhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, in his Gita commentary on one of the verses in the second chapter of the Gita where Krishna begins to speak about bhakti in a kind of a indirectly. But he says, Vyabhasayatmika buddhirekeha kurunandana. He said, This kind of yoga that I'm teaching you, Arjun. To be successful in this, one has to have be one-minded. One's intelligence has to be fixed on atma. On one thing it has to be fixed, not on so many things that are but appearances in the world, that come and go, that are here today and gone tomorrow. Our minds, our intelligence... Our intelligence is fixed on many things, and we get nothing from it. We end up with nothing for that. If you can fix your intelligence on one thing, you can get everything. You can get yourself. 
like it said, I think, in the Bible, never read it, but something like, what profiteth man if he should, or a woman, get the whole world, but lose her soul? So, atma buddhi, vyavase atmika buddhi, so intelligence fixed on atma, on the self. In the context of bhakti, he's explaining, we have to be one-minded. Mahaprabhu Sri Chaitanya Dev emphasized this point also when he said what? Trinadapi sunichena, tororapi sahishnana, amanina manadena, kirtaniya sadahari. This is nishta, nishta bhakti. Bhakti that is fixed, focused, where one pays attention. He said, with this kind of bhakti, you can get praying. So this should be an interim point to aspire for, that my bhakti, my sadhana, my practice will be fixed with no distraction. Interestingly enough, the rigidity, if you will, uh, that this implies requires a certain kind of um, suppleness, if you will, a flexibility on our part. To arrive at a fixed practice, we have to be a little bit... um, To be one-minded, we have to be open-minded. To be fixed, really, we have to be able to bend and humble. Humility marks the standard of bhajan, or spiritual practice, that is fixed, that is focused, the kind of practice that will bear the fruit of prem, of love of God. So it's a kind of an interesting kind of apparent contradiction. To be fixed, you must be flexible. You must be humble. You must have the sense with the ingress of wisdom coming from the guru and the spiritual practices that he or she has prescribed, the sense that I'm in touch with something that, that, is, um, that is oceanic, the fathomless depth of... There, there's, there's no end to that. And it's a humbling type of experience by which one actually becomes sure there's an uncertainty in the certainty of nishta that makes it worth being fixed on and excited about. We like to have things black and white. It makes it easy for the spiritual life. is not like that. It's, it's not black and white. And we may have to explain it in a black and white way at first to get a handle on that. And to, but in time we see, oh, this is a big thing. I, I thought it was like this. Now I found that it was like this. I, th- I understood this verse this way. Now I see it has many meanings as well. And so there's a kind of a, you have to be kind of a uncomfortable with uncertainty. And that brings about a certain type of <laughs> certainty, <laughs> sureness. I'm in touch with something. It's like love. I'm sure I want it, but it's a really a roller coaster. It's ups and downs and many turns and so forth. And I've said before, we, we're unsettled and we move until we find love. And when we find it, we don't sit still, do we? We start moving again in another way. There's another orbit, the orbit of love itself. We're not satisfied till we find it. And when we find it, we find it's not a static thing. It has its own orbit and movement. And, and it's a wild ride. <laughs> we don't want to get off, but... Uh, like a roller coaster, it could make you sick too. <laughs> At times, so there's a there's a there's a there's a union and there's a separation, some bog and the and so forth. 
and uh, on all levels. So even in material life, it's like that. We have, what do we know about love of God? But the material love, I'm using as an, as an example. So he said, Mahaprabhu Tanadev, that this kind of practice, the Abhisayatmika Buddhi, this with the, the intelligence is fixed on on Atma, on one thing, rather than than the appearance of many things. This type of practice will bring the fruit of prem. This type of practice is characterized by the ornaments, if you will, of humility. This is the decorum of the devotee, of humility, the measure of which, he said, is great, like a blade of grass, that there's some grass here. If you walk on it, the grass will bend, it will not complain. It will just bend over like that. And tolerant, he said, like the tree. There are so many trees here, and they stand. And we can hardly tolerate the little bit of rain or cold weather. And they're standing there. And if we get close to them, they'll make us warmer. If we get under the branches, they'll take us out of the rain. But they bear the brunt of the cold and the rain, and they tolerate. Their tolerance reaches the point of, of extending themselves in a merciful outreach to others. We have to learn these things from the trees, Mahaprabhu said, and to listen to the grass as it speaks to us by its example about humility. And he said we should honor others and avoid the pursuit of self-honor. And the best way to avoid that is to give honor to others, always. He said these four things, they characterize one whose practice is fixed, kirtaniya sadahri, that person will get prem with that kind of bhajan. Now, that verse from the Gita, Vyavasayatmika Buddhi, in his commentary there, Prabhupada uh, cites this verse of, that we're discussing, the Vishwana Chakrati Thakur, Yasya Prasada Bhagavat Prasadu, Yasya Prasada Nagati Kutopi, quotes the first two lines. He had an idea that, what? That Guru Bhakti, this is Vyavasayatmika Buddhi, now, Guru Bhakti is an interesting topic because Guru Bhakti is part of Krishna Bhakti. In his own commentary on that Gita verse, Vishwanath, the author of the Guru Vastakam, has written that if one simply uh, follows, uh, he, he says, I commit myself, really, I commit myself to the practices given by my Gurudev, Sravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu Smaranam, hearing, chanting, for a prescribed time or number of times in a, in a, a kind of uh, I commit myself with resolve to the practices given by my guru. He says, this is Vyabhasyatmika Buddhi. This is to fix one's intelligence on the Atma, which we learn about from, from Sri Guru. So he is talking about bhakti to the guru in the context of Krishna bhakti. Rupa Goswami, when he begins to write about sadhana bhakti, vaidhi bhakti, sadhana bhakti covers vaidhi and rag bhakti, when he begins to write about it, he says what? The first thing he says is, the beginning is to take shelter of the guru. This is the beginning of Krishna bhakti. So bhakti to the guru falls within bhakti to Krishna. When we offer our respect to Krishna, then first we offer our respect to the one who has given us Krishna. A kind of gratitude. This is kind of like an entry-level you know, sensibility in bhakti. 
So you find in the ritual, the realm of ritual, within the context of bhakti, there's prayers to offer respect to the guru in the context of Krishna bhakti. And so you can't do Krishna bhakti without doing guru bhakti. So Vishwanath, in his Gita commentary on this verse about one-mindedness of practice and so forth, that is uh, central to fruitful bhakti, if you will, he speaks about guru bhakti in the context of Krishna bhakti. However, uh, Sridiva Goswami has also written another thing. And he has spoken about a special idea of Guru Bhakti being the larger circle in which Krishna Bhakti finds itself, reversing. Rupa Goswami has given the Angas of Bhakti. Anga means limb, limbs of Bhakti. So for there to be limbs, there must be a body. So the body is Krishna and the limbs are Bhakti to Krishna. But Jiva Goswami gave an indication in Bhakti Sandarva. There's a way some devotees reverse this. They make Bhakti to the Guru, the Angi, the body, and Bhakti to Krishna, the Anga, the limb. You think, this is a different idea. But Jiva Goswami has told us something very interesting about that. All these practices that you are advised to incorporate into your life to make your life hearing, chanting, we chant on, on, the, on the mala, the mantra, the nam-mantra of Krishna's names, and diksha mantra, gayatris and so forth, and uh, hearing the discourses, and studying the books, and offering the, f- the food to, to Bhagwan and so forth. All these practices, these are angas of bhakti which will beget bhakti. How much does the guru emphasize these things over and over and over again? In one sense, they're the gifts given by the guru, so we should take them and embrace them and so forth. How will we get bhakti without doing those things? Right? There's a way. You'd be surprised to know there's a way. And this is what Jiva Goswami has indicated in Bhakti Sandarbha. He says that if we make, he implies, if we make service to the guru, the angi, the body, and service to Krishna, the anga, reversing the whole thing. This kind of guru bhakti is so pleasing to Bhagawan. It is so much of an understanding, if you will, of this verse of Guru Vastakam, Yasya Prasada, Bhagavat Prasado. Like I quoted this morning, Acharjavan Purusha Veda. One who has a guru knows, it says. One who has a guru, he knows. She knows. They know the way. Hmm? I say this from my own experience. You found the way. One of my godbrothers, I like to quote, Mr. John Swami used to say, that the distance we have gone thus far in our material sojourn before meeting our Gurudev is far greater than the distance we have to go from this point on. This is a short hop now. From this point on, it's a short distance. Comparatively, Hanadi karma is a long time without beginning, wandering. Brahmanda Brahmi te kon, Bhagavan jeev, Guru Krishna prasade bhai bhakti latavija. This is the beginning of bhagya. This is the meaning of bhagya. Bhagya means luck, good fortune. In Gaudiya Vaishnavism, good fortune means sadhusanga.
association with sadhus, in the context of which we find our guru. We get the bhakti lata, bij, the bij, the seed of the lata, the, the vine of bhakti. It's called, it's compared to a vine which grows by wrapping around another. We we'll wrap ourselves around saintly persons. One of them, will, he or she will capture us by example and, and precept, and then we will capture him. You say, I've been captured by you, now you must take charge of me. So, this verse of Vishwanath Chakravitakura says that by pleasing the Guru, one will please Krishna. Without pleasing the Guru, you can't please Krishna. This, the full, the deepest, the farthest reach of this understanding is, this, is when we make Guru Bhakti, the Angi, and Krishna Bhakti, the Anga. We make devotion to Krishna secondary or subordinate to devotion to the Guru. Puja Pachitamarsh once told us that if you are chanting and Krishna gives you darshan and he asks something of you, then you say, excuse me, uh, I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> then we'll ask our Guru, is that the one you're talking about? And should I do what he says? Something like that. There's some story in the Puranas, I believe, of uh, a devotee very busy in the service of his guru, and Krishna is very pleased to send someone to pick him up, take him to the spiritual sky, if you will. And he said, I'm sorry, I'm too busy serving my guru. I cannot go now. This is Guru Nishta. Mahaprabhu speaks of Nishta when he says, Ternadapi Sunichana, Vyabhasayatmika Buddhi. This is Nishta fixed on the ideal, on the Atma and the ideal, the, the, the prospect of the Atma that's made known to us through Guru Vakya, through the words of the Guru. Nishta, to be fixed on that. Now, what is Guru Nishta? Two kinds of Guru Nishta, then. Nishta to the teaching of the Guru, which he teaches. You should chant, you should hear, you should do these things, and so forth. Advice for everybody. And then there's Nishta to the desire of the Guru, particularly, to focus on that. And Jiva Goswami implies that is so powerful, that kind of bhakti, that if you don't do any other practice, you don't chant, you don't hear, you don't meditate, you sleep late, well, when the guru is sleeping, I suppose you can rest too. Without any of those practices, your life will become perfect. This is a very significant point because it's popular in today's world to think, Oh, we've done with, we're done with the gurus. The guru thing has come and that's gone. And that's popular in, in some circles, and I've seen it to some extent in, in, in Gaudiya Vaishnava circles also. Even the thought, well, do we really need this guru? I mean, okay, you know, before the, the teaching was not that much available, you know, in centuries gone by, the books were written on palm leaves and they were kept by the intellectual class who who was preoccupied with that, and they would teach that. They weren't printing presses to make the books available everywhere and the teachings. And so the idea of the guru who had the knowledge and that we should go there as appropriate, but I can just turn on my computer and get all kind of knowledge and information and, uh, and cross-culturally re religious and uh, read Sanskrit texts, translations of them and so forth. And I can learn Sanskrit myself or whatever. And uh, the teachings are available widely now, so this custom 
you know, it's a cute thing, you know, but it's, it's seen its, its, its days, better days. Times have changed. What is the need of the guru? I mean, what's he going to do but tell you the teachings, right? You got to hear, you got to chant, and so forth. I got that, I figured that out, so I'm doing that. And so there's a minimization of this principle. And this is very poor reasoning. And the point of Jiva Goswami that I'm making here it serves to illustrate that. There's something more going on here than just passing out the teaching like a teacher. We should get the teaching from someone who understands the teaching, who lives the teaching. People want to make it all rational and reasonable, take the superstition out of religion. Well, that's a good idea in a, in a sense, but reason only goes so far, doesn't it? If we reason well, we'll understand that. That reason has its, has its limitations. After all, if there is something called atma, self, that's supernatural, well, intellect is not supernatural. It's a product of our karmic involvement. We have a particular type of intelligence, a particular type of body, a particular type of mind that's covering our atma, our self. These things, the coverings of atma, cannot uncover the atma. <laughs> intelligence is a kind of a covering of the atma. Mind we're oppressed by and its demands and the senses as well. We're not free because the tongue says do this, the belly says do that, the ears take us here, the eyes take us there. The mind is, is, is the seat of so many desires. Intelligence becomes wedded to the mind and the senses and, and serves to make us no better than a, than a dangerous animal by reasoning how to get more, how to take more. How to pursue fulfillment and satisfaction in relation to things that don't even endure. That are here today and gone tomorrow. This is a huge abuse of intellect. We can use intellect in the context of bhakti to help uncover our soul. But unto itself, it's a covering of the soul. So there's something above the soul, the above reason, and it's us. How will we know about it? From above, that information will come, that knowledge will come, it will descend to us. The Guru is the most prominent embodiment of that knowledge. And it's not, this is the, the principle of Guru, not something to be dispensed with because there's, more, there's information. He's not just an information bureau, in other words. Just plug in and get some information and, and go away and you got the teaching. It's not like that. Hmm? Therefore, tadvidhi pranipatena pariprasnena sevaya. If we've actually pranipat submitted, and we pariprasnena, prasna means question, we inquired, not as a curiosity seeker, but made essential inquiries to answer our existential crisis. Who am I? Keami, kene, jartopatrai. Who am I? Why I have to suffer? Inquiries that are pressing, that without answering, life is not worth living. This kind of inquiry, this kind of inquiring spirit brings us in the presence of an answer to that. There will be an answer to that. Where the answer will come? For those who cannot live without the answer. This is the student. This is the real disciple. How important part of the equation the disciple is. We cannot underestimate. We're talking about the guru, but we cannot talk about the guru without 
the disciple. What is the meaning of the guru if no one's inquiring? Yes, he's out of work. <laughs> he's got to close up the shop there. Go live on the mountaintop alone. So, pariprasnena. And when we've inquired sufficiently, then we get the answer, sevaya. Pranipat pariprasnena. Sevaya. Service. We shall render service, not collect information. There's something to be given without the information, we are told by Jiva Goswami when he explains that idea of making Guru Bhakti, the Angi, and Krishna Bhakti, the Anga. He says, simply by serving the desires of the Guru, personal desire for whatever it may be, the mission and whatever he's or she's preoccupied with, to find that out and to, and to focus on that. He said, this alone will give you praying. And to emphasize it, even if you don't do any of the other practices. So, is it just information? <laughs> is there something else going on there? It is a particular descent of Krishna. That there's magic to be had there. Don't take the mystery out of the whole thing. As I say, we want to reason and take the mystery out and, and the, the superstition out of spirituality and so forth and make it all PC, too. <laughs> but it transcends all, all set. whatever PC now will be something else later. Times change, but this is something. This is about that which doesn't change. Our self, the ever-observing, constant observing factor of the ever-changing material Phenomena. We should observe ourself. And through the eyes of Guru, we can observe not only ourself, but ourselves prospect as well. Therefore, yasya prasada, bhagavat prasada, yasya prasada, nagati, kutopi. Prabhupada considered that his success was that he took the order of his Guru, the desire of his Guru, to see the distribution of Gaudiya Vaishnavism around the world, or in the West, in English-speaking language, as his life and soul. That's what he used to tell us over and over again. If I have any success, on days like this, when we would glorify him, he would say, humbly, if I have any success, this is the reason, because I have Guru Nishta, Guru Bhakti. I fixed my, my attention on the desire of my Guru, as my Guru revealed to me his desire, and I, I become successful because of that. So, yasya prasada bhagavat prasadu yasya prasada nagati kutupi. Dhyam stulam stasya yasya trisandyam bandhi guru si charanadarindam. Vishwana Chakabhitaka goes on to say then, after giving us this important lesson, that by pleasing the guru, Krishna will be pleased. Without pleasing the guru, Krishna will not be pleased. And dhyam stulam stasya yasya trisandyam. Trisandyam means all the time. That's what it means. Tree sandhyam. Tree means three. Sandhyam means three crossings. Sandhyam means like dawn. It's a sandhyam. It's a crossing between day and night. Noon. The crossing between morning and afternoon. Dusk. Again, the crossing between day and night in the reverse. He says that one should offer their dhyams to vams. One should offer their Meditate on the Guru, he said. Trisandhyam. It doesn't mean three times a day, it means all the time. You see, this encompasses all time. 
from night to day, from day to night, and in between. <laughs> from day to night, and from night to day, this is the implication. We do three times, for example, we chant our mantra three times a day at the Sandhyam. But the whole idea of this is keep the Niyasadahari, that you will understand this is meant to be 24 hour engagement, not a 15 minute engagement every, you know, three times every day, <laughs> something like that. We have to go beyond the concept of day and night. This is the idea. So he says, this way I offer my respects to my guru. He concludes his guru astakam and then he gives the a prayer at the end that speaks about the fruit of chanting that. He says, Srimad Guru Rastakam Etad Uchaya. Srimad Guru Astakam. This, this Astakam, eightfold prayer to the Guru. Srimad Guru Astakam Etad Uchaya. He said, this should be sung. Uchaya means loudly. Not shyly, but loudly. So proclaim my feelings for what has happened to me, my good fortune. Just like, I won the lottery. How will you contain yourself? <laughs> right? How will you contain yourself? You want to tell everybody. And not only that, everybody else will want to tell everybody. And I know somebody, they won the lottery. And this is big news. <laughs> so the spirit of this whole astakam is, I won the lottery. That's the spirit of it. I won the lottery. I found the way out and more. Acharjavam, again, Purushalabhada. Now I know because I have a guru. Before that, all-knowing is nothing. Now I know. Now the Veda, all-knowing is available to me. This is a big-time lottery win. So it's, it's something to like proclaim, he says. Therefore, it should be chanted loudly. Srimad Guru Rastakam Brahmi Muhutte Patati He says, and especially during the, during the Brahma Muhurta. Muhurta is a period of time in ancient calculation. Uh, about 45 minutes or so is a Muhurta, 48 minutes. So he says, Brahma Muhurta. He said, this is an auspicious song that should be sung in the least at the most auspicious time. And if one sings at the Brahma Muhurta, Brahma means spiritual. At the time that is most spiritual. What time is that? About 45 minutes before the sunrise. This is the Brahma Muhurta. So all the devotees rise at this time, before the sunrise. They take advantage of the Brahma Muhurta. They absorb themselves in Brahman, in the absolute, in submission to the absolute, in their minds, in their hearts, and so forth. This is also the Nishanta, Nishanta. Nisha means night, and Anta means end. This is the end of night. Night is ending. So, from the point of view of the sadhaka, the spiritual practitioner, the ending of the night of his or her dark existence, the long, dark night of the soul has been going on for a long time. This is the waking up from that. And Vishwanath says, you should sing this Guru Vastakam at that time. Acknowledge my waking up from the darkness of material existence has come by this grace of, uh, of God in the form of the Guru. Ending the long night of the soul, coming into the light of the day, 
of my, my prospect in life. Shrimad Guru Rastakam Etaducha Brahmi Mahutte Patati Prayat. Yes, Tena Vrindavan Nata Sakshad. He says, and what is the prospect then of yourself in good association? We are a product largely of our association. So in good association, then we have a prospect and a potential. Hmm? He says, just ten of Vrindavan Nata. That Nata of Vrindavan, Krishna, who is the center of, of this Vrindavan idea, this love in, of, of God and intimacy, you will attain that Vrindavan Nath in a particular form, he says. Labhya, according to your aspiration, born through Sadhu Sangha and Guru Seva, an aspiration will be born hmm, to serve Krishna in a particular way. And in that form, you will arrive in Vrindavan. That's the fruit, he says, of singing this Gurvastakam. So, we're counting on that. We trust him. And every morning, we're singing that song during the Brahma Mahorta. This is a practice instituted by my Guru Maharaj. Are there any questions? Yes. Maharaj, I believe Prabhupada said once that he was trying to build a house in which the whole world could live. And yet, in our text, somewhere we say that it's an offense to try to change somebody's faith. So I'm, I'm trying to understand, is that a contradiction? Or? Well, um, it was said by an astrologer who did the uh, astrological chart of Prabhupada as a child that this person could build a house in which the whole world could live. And of course, he came to the United States as a homeless person. He lived as a homeless person. You never know who you meet, you know, on the street. Um, he was living in the Bowery in New York as a homeless person in a cold winter. But he had never experienced the winters of, of uh, New York uh, like it's burdened now, with, covered with snow. Um, coming from India, and he was about 70 years old, so he came with a message. He came with his Guru Seva. He was coming to do the service of his guru that had been asked of him, and so there he was with no facility, but a lot of power, a lot of shakti, if you will. And um, yes, so he was living as a homeless person, and uh, but in his heart was the homeland of the self, and he was a home-knowing man. For home-going, home-knowing person is essential. So he shared his heart with others, and it was big, and there was plenty of room for everybody. So that's one side of it, and so a house. And he, he, he did establish a big mission externally at the same time as well. But uh, to understand it, we have to understand his heart, and there we find there's a lot of room there. As far as changing someone else's faith, I don't know exactly what you're referring to, but in the Gita it's mentioned that we should, one should not disturb the minds of the ignorant. That means everyone has some faith, so some people may have faith in one thing or another, but it, it may be based on ignorance. And when the Gita says we shouldn't disturb them, the ignorant, it means that there's a point in time in trying to share knowledge with people that they can't take advantage of it. In fact, it will be counterproductive if we try to share with them. Therefore, there is something called the teachable moment. 
if you will. And I'm sure the high school teachers amongst us are waiting for that to come around. <laughs> and before the teachable moment arrives, if you will, then it's difficult to, to teach. And um, that's what the Gita is really referring to. Otherwise, people have faith in all kinds of things. Unfortunately, a person is their faith, and um, we are interested in giving people the opportunity to change themselves by offering them insight and information, guidance, and a connection with the parampara and the magic of that and so forth, and all the possibilities that lie there. So I don't think um, that uh, we're against changing the faith of people or giving people the opportunity to change their faith. But again, if people aren't looking for that, then it becomes difficult then it may be more useful to find common ground with such people. And then but still, then you're relating to them on the basis of your faith and the ground that they have in common with you. That's actually how we associate with people based on faith. Before association means kind of a sharing of the faith, if you will, in the, in the context of sadhusang, association with devotees. So we may mix with people and find common ground and focus on that, make the relationship be based on common ground, then we don't associate with people whose faith is not conducive to our bhakti. That's the idea. As far as possible, you try to find common ground, share the faith. So, what else? Yes? In speaking about guru bhakti, according to Jivashwami, being sufficient to the point of even laying stress on the practices. Mm -hmm. So how are we to understand during the time of Prabhupada's mission, he had so many leaders, and it seemed that he expressed that they were trying to execute his desire, to satisfy his desire. And in some cases, at the point where they were neglected the practice and they fell away. So I wonder how do we understand it was at some point they weren't. Well, first of all, the, uh, the, uh, the point made and implied, if you will, by Jiva Goswami Bhaktisandarva is to stress the importance of focusing one's attention on that particular manifestation of divinity that has come before us in a custom package, so to speak, just suitable for us. That's the idea of the guru. That's why one person will pick one guru, one person will pick another guru, and so forth. Um, so sometimes things are said to stress the point, and they're not said because there's not an example of that. There is an example of that, so there's evidence for that point, to support that point. But then how often it will happen, what, and completely, and to what extent it's actually being done, when it may look like it's being done, and so these are all extenuating circumstances and, and mitigating factors in determining the result. So the idea is that that possibility is there, therefore. Now, 
when we make that point, let's say, for example, in relation to Prabhupada, Prabhupada at the same time, you, you want to fulfill Prabhupada's personal desire, you know, and even at the neglect of the practice, but Prabhupada was very intent also on his students chanting, for example. So someone might say, what he really wanted you to do was to chant. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to sort all out the details of that, but suffice to say that those who appear to be doing so maybe to one extent or another, but not to the extent that the, the result will come. It shouldn't dismiss the point. It's not an example of conflicting or contradictory evidence. We stress this to stress the potential and therefore the importance of focusing on Guru Seva. We may ask him what to do, and he may say, do this, chant. So, but still, the principle holds. You should, we should try to find out. There's, there's the standard advice for everybody, and then there's inside information. There's a saying also, or, or an idea, that Krishna very much wants to serve his devotees, but his devotees won't accept any service from him. So it's Krishna's in a, in a difficult situation. He has this ambition to serve his devotees, but those advanced devotees, they never accept service from Krishna because their ideal is to serve Krishna. So, uh, what to do? And uh, the answer is that, that there are people who serve Krishna's devotees. They're kind of devotees in practice, if you will, not in, uh, in a realized sense. And so they render some service to the advanced devotees, and Krishna, through them, gets his desire fulfilled. So it's another way of saying all these points are a way of saying this is where you should give your focus here. Just pay attention to the guru. Don't waste his or her time and your own thereby. So now have a guru puja and then arti for Bhagwan, Gornatananda, and then there'll be prashad. The sun has come out. Bhagavad Premanande. Bhagavad Premanande.